Welcome back to the 4 for 4 NFL Team Preview Series. I'm your host, Mike Randall. Please follow me on Twitter, Randall Rant. And the train continues to roll here at 4 for 4. Four teams every week for eight consecutive weeks to get you ready for the 2022 NFL season. And today, of course, we go to one of the teams that I am the most intrigued about here, the Minnesota Vikings. We welcome in Chris Thomason, who covers the Minnesota Vikings for the St. Paul Pioneer Press, does a fantastic job, is going to give us some great insight today here on the Vikings to talk about Minnesota and their prospects for this season. He can cover it from NFL Fantasy. He's given us a few minutes here. Chris, thanks so much for joining us today in 4 4. How you doing? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me, Mike. Really appreciate it. Listen, you are the go-to person for Minnesota. You have a great book that you just released coming out called The Minnesota Vikings All-Time All-Stars. You look at the best players at each position. Just a fantastic read for NFL fans. And you even have a forward from Ahmad Rashad. So talk about that. It must have been a great project. Oh, thanks for your comments. Yeah, it came out last fall. And uh, it's a look at you choose an all-time or I chose an all-time Vikings team, but really there's chapters on more than 50 top Vikings players and coaches. So even maybe the players that weren't chosen ultimately for the all-time first team are still covered in depth. And I did over 50 interviews, so there's a lot of original material in there. You mentioned Ahmad Rashad did the forward. You know, he was great. He's also featured in the book with a chapter. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a good read for Vikings fans. And if you go to my Twitter account, at Chris Thomason, I've got it pinned on how you order. You can order at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, other places. So uh, really appreciate your kind thoughts on the book. Oh, 100%. And we'll dive right into the 2022 season. New head coach Kevin O'Donnell comes over from the Rams. The big Super Bowl win over the Bengals. New coaching staff as well. Wes Phillips, OC, Ed Donatel, defensive coordinator. Talk about the changes that you've seen or you think are coming here under the new regime with the Vikings. Well, during spring drills, players talked about team bonding, talked about a new attitude, what have you. I mean, those things are common, though, when you hire a new coach. I mean, even... When Mike Zimmer was hired eight years ago, people were saying, oh, we need a tough guy, you know, discipline was lax and what have you. But maybe it got to be too much of an extreme. Eric Hendricks, the linebacker after Zimmer was fired, said you don't need a fear-based organization is what his quote was. So when you change coaches, you kind of go with what you didn't have before. And O'Connell is kind of regarded as, a player's coach. I mean, much more easygoing type attitude and that sort of thing, but he's still a rookie coach. He still hasn't coached a game in the NFL. He's never been a play caller in the NFL. So uh, this is going to be interesting to see what transpires there, but uh, there's a lot of enthusiasm in Minnesota. The schedule isn't as tough as it was last year. So we'll see what happens. I want to start with the running backs. Dalvin Cook, right, early and often, always productive, elite running back, but certainly, Chris, hasn't played more than 14 games in any one season. I'm curious what you think. It's a new coaching staff, but what you think they're going to do with Alexander Madison? Are they going to try to maybe work Madison in a little bit more? Cook had still had the fourth highest snap share of any running back last year, only played 13 games, of course, played through with that torn labrum. He had over 11, he had the big reduction, of course, in touchdowns as well. So 
only went down to six. Normally he's a double digit guy. So how do you see the backfields here sort of balancing with Cook Madison? Well, when Dalvin's healthy, he's certainly among the top running backs in the NFL. He said last season, he admitted he didn't have quite the season that he had hoped to have after having a much bigger campaign in 2020. Um, the Vikings have tremendous depth at running back. You mentioned Alexander Madison, but they got, you know, a lot of depth. They got Pene uh, Nwangu who uh, last year returned two kickoffs for touchdowns, didn't get many opportunities from scrimmage. They drafted Ty Chandler. I mean, you can make an argument that the Vikings have the deepest core of running backs in the NFL. And I would expect Kevin O'Connell to use all the weapons at his disposal. When Ty Chandler was drafted, one thing the general manager, Adolfo Menza, said was that he can be a big weapon in the passing game. So it's not just carrying the ball. But uh, it's interesting, last year, Madison filled in four times for Cook, twice had 100-yard rushing games, once got 90 yards in a game. But then in games in which Cook was healthy, Madison barely carried the ball. I mean, uh, he'd get two, three, four carries in those type of games. So I would expect, I mean, I had touched upon it entering last season with it being a 17-game season. Will the Vikings use Madison more? Will they try to keep Cook fresh? And then as it turned out, he got hurt and that sort of thing. But I would expect Madison to get some more work as they try to keep uh, Dalvin Cook fresher as he, you know, he's a year older as we all are. Yeah, Dalvin Cook still produces over 1,100 rushing yards last year. So even with the dip, he finds a way to produce. And you would think there would be some positive regression, of course, with those touchdowns. Receivers now, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, dynamic receiving duo, certainly one of the top target shares for a duo, wide receiver duo in the NFL. K.J. Osborne did some nice things last year. Of course, the offense should get a boost from tight end Irv Smith coming back. One of my favorites personally here, Chris, meniscus tear. Any concerns here with Thielen going over 31 years old? Yards per reception did drop. It was under 11 yards per catch last year, but he certainly produces those touchdowns. Reminds me of the old Chris Carter, all I do is catch touchdowns, sort of a similar situation. And second part here, is this the dominant Justin Jefferson year? He's been tremendous. I can see him having like a Cooper Cup-like breakout here in this offense. Well, Jefferson's already put up huge numbers uh, as it is. And I think if he duplicates last year's numbers itself, they would be happy with that, I mean, he's the all-time leading uh, receiver in NFL history yardage for a player's first two seasons. But you brought up Adam Thielen, and that's interesting. I wrote a magazine piece, and in it, I kind of put him as the guy on the hot seat. I mean, he's got a massive contract, and if he's going to remain with the Vikings making large amounts of money, he's going to have to produce. He's going to have to stay healthy. I think he's still a very effective receiver, but what happens as a receiver when you pass your 30th birthday is you start having injuries crop up. And last year he was saddled with an ankle injury that eventually required surgery late in the season. So the good thing for the Vikings is they don't have to totally rely on Adam Thielen as their number two receiver since KJ Osborne unexpectedly broke loose with 50 plus catches last year. I mean, he was the biggest surprise by far on the Vikings last year. Didn't play a single snap from scrimmage in 2020. 
and then emerges as a top-notch number three receiver. And if anything happens to Thielen, then, you know, he would be the number two guy. But you do maybe after that have to worry a little bit about the ultimate receiver depth. But uh, I expect Kevin O'Connell is going to try to uh, work the ball around to a lot of receivers. I mean, Thielen's going to benefit, obviously, by defenses focusing on Justin Jefferson. So that's going to help him as well. But the key will be Thielen remaining healthy. Yeah, Jefferson, you mentioned, you know, with Cooper Cup's incredible season, sort of went under the radar. First two years here for Justin Jefferson, 88 receptions, 108 receptions. Receiving yards, 1,416-16 last year. Touchdowns have gone up as well, 7-10. and 10. So he definitely, if there's not a quarterback that's going to win Offensive Player of the Year, could really be a repeat here with Jefferson, just a fantastic talent. Let's turn now to the offensive line. Adding Ed Ingram as a second-round pick and Jesse Davis from Miami should be better. You just need to get, I think, improved play from Garrett Bradbury, who struggled a little bit. Our Justin Edwards did a preview here of the offensive lines across the board in the NFL, did a deep dive here. Tell me your opinion here on the Vikings offensive line. Well, Vikings offensive line overall has steadily improved over the last couple of years. you got three long-term type guys. Christian Derrissaw had a nice rookie season at the left tackle and he's just going to continue to get better. Brian O'Neill made the Pro Bowl as the right tackle. Ezra Cleveland starting to come along as a very effective left guard. But then there are question marks. You mentioned Garrett Bradbury. His fifth-year option wasn't picked up for 2023, but that was expected. I mean, it was for $13 I mean, that would be a crazy sum. You'd have to be a Pro Bowl type guy for that to be picked up. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Bradbury. I mean, I wrote a couple of weeks ago a story on him, and he told me how he's put on 10 pounds of muscle. One of the raps against him was bigger nose tackles, being able to uh, overpower him, and he's hoping gaining the 10 pounds of muscle will help in that regard. But he's still a, a lame duck, so it'll be interesting if Chris Reed, who's you know solid journeyman offensive lineman, perhaps is given the opportunity to challenge him for the starting center spot. At right guard, things are wide open. You mentioned Ed Ingram, Jesse Davis. Um, I think Davis is probably the front runner at that spot. He's a veteran. He played out of position in Miami at tackle. He's going back to his best spot, right guard. So I think he'll ultimately probably win the job. I mean, Chris Reed will be given a chance there if he's not the center, but I see Reed maybe more as the top reserve at the three interior line positions. And Ingram, I think that's a lot to ask that he's going to come in and start right away. I mean, Brian O'Neill didn't start right away. He was a second-round pick. Ezra Cleveland didn't start right away. He was a second-round pick. I mean, if Ed Ingram is as advertised, he could eventually move into the starting lineup. But to pencil him in right away is premature. So I would call Jesse Davis the favorite at right guard. But overall, it's uh, an offensive line that is steadily – improved over the last couple of years, even though there's been some rough spots at center and right guard. The changeover here with head coach Mike Zimmer, of course, defense is his mainstay. And so the question turns to the defensive side of the ball. This was a Minnesota team I liked a lot last year, Chris. They really could have made a push to win the division. I think the focus this year on whether they get to that level is going to be the defense. They were in middle of the pack in DVOA per football outsiders last year, 25th, though, against the run. That's got to improve. How do you see the defense here in 2022? 
Well, the defense has really struggled the last couple of years. I mean, it's been a steady decline since they were number one in the NFL in 2017 in total defense and uh, scoring defense. And, of course, that was the year they made it to the NFC Championship game. Injuries, though, have been a big factor, especially Daniil Hunter. He's played in just seven games the last two years. He was lost with a torn pectoral muscle after week seven last year. He's back, you know, apparently fully healthy. They signed Zadarius Smith, who had injury issues with a back last year in Green Bay, but did return for the playoffs. They're confident he's fully healthy. So if those guys are healthy, Hunter and Smith, they think they've got one of the top pass rushing duos in the league. On the front line, Dalvin Tomlinson, a free agent signing last year, is, is solid. Linebacker Eric Kendricks was all pro a couple of years ago, and uh, he's had some injury issues last couple of years, so they're hoping he obviously stays healthy. They signed Jordan Hicks. Um, safety, Harrison Smith is back, and they drafted Lewis Seen in the first round, potential starter there. But the real issue is cornerback. I mean, that's going to be how they play at cornerback is going to depend a lot on how the Vikings do this season. I mean, Patrick Peterson isn't the same guy that he was when he was making pro bowls. He's still, you know, an average or above average player. So it'll be interesting to see how he looks this year. Cameron Danzler has been up and down. He's a potential starter. They took a cornerback in the second round in Andrew Jr. But really there, there still are significant issues at cornerback. So that's what you got to keep an eye on defensive wise. Last question here, Chris, has been great insight. Schedule and a projection. Vikings 16th, right in the middle. Strength of schedule per Vegas opposing win totals, Warren Sharp. I like the Vikings a lot last year. I like them this year as well. A lot of uncertainty, but I love the way the schedule is here at the end of the year. Of course, you wouldn't have it any other way. You end the season at Green Bay at Chicago with the rivals. So talk to me here about how you see the season going and their schedule here for the upcoming year. Well, if I have to give an early projection, I'd say about 10 and 7 wild card berth. I still think the Packers are the class of the division, but I think it's really going to help the Vikings that their schedule is easier this year. I mean, last year they went up against uh, the um, AFC North and uh, NFC West, uh, two of the top divisions in football. And this year they get NFC um, East and then. Uh, AFC East. So that's going to be a lot easier. They've got one of their uh, road games. New Orleans was moved to London. So they have nine home games, seven true road games and a neutral site game. So that's going to help their cause as well. And and, and Green Bay, it's interesting to note, is also playing in London, but uh, they moved a home game while the Vikings didn't. They play the Giants there. So the easier schedule is going to help, but uh, we're going to know a lot early. I mean, uh, first two games, Green Bay right out of the chute, at home at least, and then at Philadelphia the next week, always a tough spot to play at Philly with those rowdy fans. Fans, It'll be a Monday night. So, uh, yeah, I mean, last year they got off to an 0-2 start, lost a couple key games, and never really fully recovered. So they have to avoid that happening this year. 
Folks, Chris Thomason. Follow him on Twitter at Chris Thomason. Covers the Vikings and the NFL. St. Paul Pioneer Press. Of course, has the book, like I mentioned. Fantastic read. Minnesota Vikings, all-time All-Stars. Best player at each position. Gave us some great insight here. Running backs, wide receivers. I'm very invested in this team here, Chris. I think Minnesota has a pretty clear fantasy perspective with running backs and wide receivers. Smith coming back here. Could be a big year for Minnesota. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me, Mike. This time we're stopping in Buffalo to talk about the Bills. One of the favorites for this year's Super Bowl have just become a dominant team here, not just in the division, not just in the AFC, but across the NFL as a whole. And who better to talk about it than Jay Skursky? Jay is a Buffalo Bills beat writer at the Buffalo News. Please follow him on Twitter at Jay Skursky. Jay, thanks so much for giving us a few minutes here. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you. No problem. Uh, happy to join you. Jay, loaded Buffalo team. A heartbreaking loss last year, of course, at Kansas City. Tremendous game, maybe the game of the year. One of the favorites for the Super Bowl this year. I think extra motivation because pretty much that's the step they're looking for here on a team that's solid on both sides of the football. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, the last couple of seasons have ended in Kansas City, once in the AFC Championship, once in the divisional round. Uh, certainly uh, the Bills left that divisional game thinking that they should have won it uh, based on the now infamous 13 seconds and, and the way that the end of regulation and then overtime unfolded. I mean, this is a team that uh, probably if they were, if you gave them truth serum, felt like they were the best team in football, at least at the end of the season, and that they uh, not only would have made it to the Super Bowl, but maybe would have won the Super Bowl uh, had they gotten past the Chiefs. I mean, that was the type of football at least offensively, that they were playing in the postseason. So, yeah, I mean, there's no question. You've got one of the very best players in the NFL and Josh Allen leading the way. And as long as you have him uh, leading your offense, you are going to be uh, a team that, you know, big things are expected of them. And, and that's certainly no different this year. I mean, as you mentioned, I think uh, to consider them the betting favorites for the Super Bowl is, is not a stretch. I, I think the odds say that. Uh, anything short of that will be a disappointment for this team uh, this upcoming season. You know, before we get to Allen, of course, the great quarterback passing game, let's look in the backfield. Sort of a, a key point here for the fantasy community with us. Last year, we all thought it was going to be Zach Moss. He was going to step forward. Very surprising, healthy, inactive in week one and really never got going. Didn't crest 91 total yards all of last year. Devin Singletary, very solid, but doesn't have that upside of a typical starting running back. Of course, Bills fans this year, second-round pick James Cook coming in from Georgia. So help us out here, backfield touches. What are you thinking it's going to be this year? Who's going to step forward? Yeah, I think Singletary will get the opportunity to be the starter. He deserves that after the way that he ended the last, uh, say, six games of the regular season and then continued his strong play into the postseason, really solidified himself. Uh, as the no questions asked number one running back here uh, gave them some some touchdown production that had really been lacking uh, pretty much throughout his career. But certainly in the beginning of the season, he really went through a tough stretch in the middle of the season. And then, you know, I don't know what changed. Nobody seems to know what changed. He he maintains nothing changed. But for whatever reason, he started to become a, a much bigger factor in the offense again over those last maybe six regular season games and then into the postseason. And I think what he did over that stretch means that he should come back uh, and get a, have every opportunity to be the starting running back, to be the guy who gets the most carries in that backfield. And then, you know, you mentioned James Cook. It was clear that this team wanted to add a, a running back this offseason 
that had pass catching ability. They tried to sign J.D. McKissick from Washington. That fell through. Uh, they did sign Duke Johnson. We know he's a proven receiver. He may get he may get squeezed out of a roster spot now that they bring in James Cook with a, a, a very late second round pick. I think the second to last pick in the second round. Uh, another guy that is a, a proven receiver. They love his hands out of the backfield. I certainly think he'll have a role on this offense. I think right now you're going to see it be Singletary and Cook. I don't know that Zach Moss has a path to the game day roster. Uh, I think he's safe in terms of the 53, but I could see him being very frequently a healthy and active. So from a fantasy perspective, I think Singletary gets the most touches, but if it's a PPR league, I think James Cook is an intriguing middle or late round pick because I do think that they're going to use him and his receiving ability out of the backfield. That's great insight, especially Duke Johnson. I'm sure you know that in the fantasy community, we love Duke Johnson. He's our guy. We waited for a shot, but certainly here it's crowded and he is down in the pecking order. You're right about Singletary. Last six games for Buffalo, including the playoffs, nine touchdowns for Devin Singletary really became a focus in, in, in both aspects, not only rushing, but he's had games here from what I'm looking at, Jay, seven targets, six targets, five targets. So maybe you're right. So clearly he won the coaches over with the way the season ended. Yeah, he really did. He he played well. He deserved uh, the amount of playing time that he got. He deserved the amount of touches that he got. He produced when he got them. You know, can he uh, back that up with a, a strong season? Listen, this is a contract year for him. He's going to be highly motivated to do that. Uh, I do think, again, the way that last season ended, that he deserves uh, the opportunity to start the season as the starter. I think he'll definitely get that. Um, you know, it's a challenge in this offense for running backs, particularly when they get inside the red zone. Because Allen is so good as a runner, he kind of cannibalizes a lot of those rushing touchdowns. So that's the challenge with Devin Singletary. I, I wouldn't be super high on him from a fantasy perspective in terms of, well, hey, he's a, a no doubt starting running back. But, you know, it, we, we have to see how the beginning of the season plays out. I certainly He's well worth a pick in the middle or, or late if he lasts that long. I think he'll probably go, based on this offense, though, I think he'll probably go maybe a little bit earlier than I'd even be comfortable taking him just because – People see starting running back, great offense, that maybe there's, you know, there's going to be those touchdown opportunities. But the issue, again, is that Allen takes a lot of those, particularly in the red zone, and ends up with a lot of those rushing touchdowns. So that's been something, at least from a fantasy perspective, that's hurt Devin Singletary in the past. Let's look at Josh Allen and the passing attack. You know, I remember, Jay, I'm old enough to remember when there were concerns about Josh Allen when he was drafted and his ability to lead the team, accuracy, forget it. MVP candidate, Bill's Super Bowl favorite. Let's look at the receivers. Stefan Diggs, one of the best wideouts in the league, no question. No Emmanuel Sanders, no Cole Beasley this year, a lot up for grabs. Gabe Davis is someone we've talked about here with the ascension moving forward. He certainly has flashed some big games here, especially in the playoffs. Isaiah McKenzie versus Jamison Crowder is being discussed. Dawson Knox at tight end. O.J. Howard now. Break this down for us here. A lot of weapons here for Josh Allen. Yeah, I mean, Diggs is an established, bona fide, number one receiver, the type you know every team kind of wishes they had and not every team does have, but he's that guy for them. Uh, they, they rewarded him this offseason with a contract extension. He's not going anywhere. He's going to be happy. He got paid. Uh, he loves Allen. Allen loves him. So I don't, I don't think you have to overthink that very much. Uh, Davis is a guy that you mentioned had a huge game in the playoffs and I think has really produced with every opportunity that he's been given uh, and, and earned, I guess, is probably the better way of putting that. So I would expect him to uh, step into that number two receiver role. I, you know, 
I think he's going to have a, a really sound, solid season. I wonder if because he's been thought about as a fantasy sleeper by so many that he's really not being slept on and maybe ends up going uh, maybe even a little bit earlier than some people expect. Uh, but I think he's got a, a firm grasp on the number two job. And, you know, in an offense that puts up the numbers and the points that the Bills do, uh, that would lead you to believe he's going to be a pretty fan, pretty quality fantasy player. And then in the slot, you know, you mentioned McKenzie. I don't know. I'd be wary there because I think Crowder is a really established veteran player, a reliable option that can give the Bills a lot of what they got from Cole Beasley, whether that's 80% of it, 70% of it, something like that. But, you know, he's healthy and he's in a better offense. And those are the two things that have kind of hurt him in the past. He hasn't been healthy and he's been in a bad offense. So uh, there's no reason to think that he can't have a really sound, uh, high catch target, uh, you know, high number of catches, high number of targets. I don't know about his yardage and I don't know about how many times he'll reach the end zone. That's something that Beasley didn't do a ton of, especially last year. His yards per catch was way down and he didn't, you know, didn't score a lot. Um, but I do think that Crowder, if I had to pick one between him and McKenzie, Crowder is, is much more the sure thing. McKenzie has, uh, he's flashed. He's shown some games here and there where it's like, wow, this guy's pretty dynamic, but can he do that over 17 games? I think is a pretty big question. Yeah, and Crowder has the history here, 67 receptions, 66 receptions, 78 receptions as well in his career. So he has that pedigree. And I've been reading about it, seeing those notes that Crowder is coming in. People like McKenzie because he's the incumbent. But like you said, Crowder still not 30 yet. He's a veteran and he has produced, right? He could be maybe that Cole Beasley-like player. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he got to 70 catches, you know, maybe even pushed 80 in this offense. I mean – He'll have to stay healthy to do that, but uh, somewhere in that 60 to 80 catch range, I think, is a reasonable expectation for him. Turning to the offensive line, our Justin Edwards here at 4 for 4 did a deep dive into the offensive line, has the Bills right in the middle, 16th entering the year. Many ways they sort of overperformed last year, had the second best adjusted sack rate in the league. I don't think that was expected when the season started. Solid, but maybe not that level. What are the concerns this year? Darrell Williams, John Feliciano have left. They did bring in Roger Saffold, but only 34 years old here. You're dealing with an older player. Pivotal group, new OC, Ken Dorsey. Talk about the offensive line expectations. Well, they brought in a new offensive line coach, too, in Aaron Cromer, who I think can make a pretty big impact. He's been generally well-received uh, around the league. His, you know, He's proven. He, he's done it for a long time and has coached many successful offensive lines. I would expect that we'll see an uptick in their performance based solely on that hire. I mean, when Sean McDermott uh, talked about it for the first time, he called it a big-time coaching hire. So the Bills are thrilled to have Cromer here. He has, uh, again, shown that he can run successful rushing attacks. So I think he'll help them. Uh, you know, they're going to get a little bit more um, experience now with Saffold coming in. Uh, it is only a one-year deal. You always worry about that age. But I think he, you know, they know what they're getting. I think he's a pretty trusted veteran. Uh, they, re, you know, they redid Mitch Morris's contract at center. They thought he had a good year. And then Ryan Bates is a guy that uh, really was kind of like a, a hidden gem. Uh, I don't know where he came from. I don't, you know, it was amazing. He, it's not until I think week 15 that he steps into the starting lineup and really performs well. And I think, you know, once he kind of came in, the line was sort of solidified. We said, you know, they've got their best five out there now. And Bates is certainly one of those guys. And he got rewarded as a restricted free agent, signed a pretty nice contract. So 
I would expect that's your interior offensive line. Deion Dawkins is coming off a Pro Bowl season at left tackle. I still think he can play better. You know, he had COVID twice last year, including once that hospitalized him in training camp. So the beginning of the season, I think, was a real struggle for him to get back health-wise. Um, you know, so I think he's still an ascending player in some ways. And then at right tackle, Spencer Brown was a third-round pick last year as a rookie. He unseated Darrell Williams, and I think there's reason to believe that he's going to have a better season, too, with some more experience. So 16th going into the season, I think, is a fair spot to put them. But it wouldn't surprise me if they challenged to be a top 10 offensive line by the end of the year. One thing you have to keep in mind that really helps them is Allen's elusiveness in the pocket. I mean, you you talked about the adjusted sack rate. A lot of that court goes to their quarterback being able to make guys miss. He is unbelievable, especially the first rusher making him miss extending the play. So, you know, that covers up some of the uh, maybe the faults of the offensive line and certainly helps them. Excellent point for sure. Defense now, Jay. Tremendous year defensively for the Bills, of course. First overall in DVOA per football outsiders. Sean McDermott, we expect nothing less with this team. Took a cornerback in round one, linebacker in round three, so they added some uh, pieces with high draft capital. How does the defense look for a Super Bowl run this year? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think the defense is an interesting question, right? Because you mentioned it. The numbers were the numbers where they finished you know, number one in yards and points allowed. You can't take that away from them. But if you dive a little bit deeper into those numbers, you you come away with the idea that, listen, they did not play an overwhelming slate of, you know, elite quarterbacks last year or maybe even good quarterbacks. I mean, they, they've definitely benefited uh, from some of the quarterbacks who was on their schedule. Now, they don't have to apologize for that, but I think it's a fair point to mention. And when they did – see some of those elite quarterbacks. You think of the game against Tampa and, and particularly the game against Mahomes in, in Kansas City in the playoffs, they really struggled, right? So will Trey White come back to 100% health? How quickly will he get back, I think, is a big question for this defense. Uh, you mentioned that they used a the first-round pick on Kyir Elam from, from Florida. Uh, I think cornerback, and, and particularly the depth at cornerback, was a need for this team, so they, they did well to address that. The other part of defense that you know I'm sure we'll get to, but we have to mention right now is Von Miller and that addition, what that can mean for the for the four man pass rush. That was the area defensively that they felt they were not consistent enough with last year. When they only rushed four, they they just didn't get the type of pressure that they wanted to get. So Miller comes in; he's obviously a, a future first ballot Hall of Famer, at least first you know future Hall of Famer, maybe not first ballot, but. And then you've got young guys in Greg Rousseau, Boogie Basham, A.J. Epinesa, who are all going to be counted on to take a pretty significant leap forward in their careers. Uh, you know, Brandon Bean has invested a lot, both in draft capital and in free agent dollars in the on the defensive line. And quite frankly, it hasn't always, you know, the, the return on investment hasn't quite been there. So it's an area that he is still trying to figure out. And he's swung big here this offseason with Miller, probably the biggest swing in free agency, uh, maybe of any team. So uh, I think there's a lot riding on the investment that they've made uh, on the defensive line, both in draft and free agency. And, and we'll have to see what that amounts to in terms of pressure, in terms of maybe improved run defense, which was an area that they struggled with, particularly against good physical running backs. Uh, the Bills kind of got hit in the mouth a few times last year against those types of players. So that's an area that I, th I think we're going to closely watch in the beginning of the season to see just how much of an improvement they've made there. 
Yeah, it's interesting you say that about the sacks. For a team that was number one in DVOA last year, Bills, middle of the pack, sort of with 42 sacks. Getting there with four is critical. We've seen it with the Giants teams, uh, with the Patriots, of course, as well. And I have to mention that game with the Patriots and Bills, where they just ran only attempted three pass attempts. So like you said, solid defense, numbers are great, but Miller should really bring something here that can take this defense to the next level. Yeah, and the you know those sack numbers were really inflated again in, in a couple of games, and that and I mean that's fine. Again, you don't take those away from them, but in terms of the consistency, it wasn't always there. I think they may have had eight sacks in the season finale against the Jets, and you know against Mike White, a rookie, or excuse me, not Mike White. Uh, they played Mike White the first time uh, in New York, and I think had four or five interceptions, uh, and then they I think they played Zach Wilson in the in the season finale. And I believe they had eight sacks. So it's like, okay, that's, a, that, you know, that's great, but it's one game. So when you have that type of production, you'd like to, you'd like to see a bit more balance from the pass rush. And that wasn't there. Last question, Jay, this has been great, great stuff. And then we'll get you out of here. Bill's schedule, 15th hardest strength of schedule per opposing win totals in Vegas, right in the middle over under 11 and a half, one of the highest in the leagues, minus 225 to win the division. Division used to be the Patriots. It now goes through Buffalo. It's a big year, Jay, circling the wagons here. How do you see it here with the Bills projection and the schedule? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love them to win the division. I love minus 225. I mean, I think they're overwhelming favorites. You know, when you look at the offseason that they've had versus, you know, the perceived offseason that the Patriots had, which maybe wasn't as strong. They, they were obviously in second place in this division last year. You know, Miami, I think, is improved. Uh, I don't know that I would say that the Bills are going to to sweep the division as they, you know, as has been the goal. I believe they're eleven and one in the AFC East over the last two years, and you can kind of throw out the one game that they lost to New England as is sort of fluky with fifty mile an hour wins. I think, you know, if you take that away, uh, the the Bill, and you're not going to get that. I mean, those games are once a once a decade, maybe that kind of thing. So, I mean, th this team has controlled the AFC East and. I think maybe Miami has maybe narrowed the window or narrowed the gap, but I still think it's it's pretty significant for the Bills. I think overwhelmingly their favorites. Uh, I would bet the over on the win total. I think this is a 13-win team. Uh, you know, and and even if they only get to 12, right, you're still hitting the over there. So I love the over. I love the Bills in the AFC East. Uh, in terms of you know the Super Bowl, I, I do think that the goal for this franchise this season has to be to get the number one seed in the AFC. They are 3-0 in the playoffs at home under Sean McDermott. They're 0-4 on the road. That's a big enough sample size to know that home field advantage is really significant. You know, to coming to Buffalo in, in January is not an easy ask of other teams. And I think that has to – everything that they go into this season, when, when they talk about winning the division, yeah, that's going to be their first goal. But 1A has to be getting the number one seed because I think if they do that and the road to the Super Bowl – goes through Orchard Park, I think this Bills team has a very, very good chance of getting there. And I'll tell you, Jay, that would be a magical game playing at home in Buffalo for a right to go to the Super Bowl. Folks, Jay Skursky, at Jay Skursky on Twitter. Amazing insight here. Covered so much. Thanks for working in the fantasy as well. He gave us some great tidbits. Buffalo Bills beat writer at the Buffalo News. Thank you so much, Jay. One of the favorites here, the Bills, has been in progression. They're not like the Bengals who sort of popped in out of nowhere. They've been progressing and building. Could be the year for a Super Bowl title. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Up to Seattle to preview the Seattle Seahawks with Bob Condotta. I've talked to Bob before. Does a fantastic job covering the Seattle Seahawks. 
for the Seattle Times. You can follow him on Twitter at BConDotta. Bob, thanks so much for joining us today in the 4 for 4 preview series. How you doing? Sure. Yeah, doing well, Mike. Yeah, how are you? How are you? Very good. We just want to go around here, take a look at the different aspects of the, of the Seahawks. Of course, a lot sure. of intrigue because I have to start life without Russell Wilson. How has it been different in minicamp so far? Geno Smith, Drew Locke, and now, Bob, the Baker Mayfield rumors are happening. So break down here the quarterback position as you're hearing it up there in Seattle. Yeah, it's uh, it's you know certainly it's it's really interesting. I started covering the Seahawks in 2013, so I'd never really seen a practice other than those couple last year when he was hurt without Russell, and so it's definitely a, a definitely a, a different feel for sure. Um, yeah, right now it's a two man battle. Uh, Geno Smith and Drew Lock. Uh, Geno Smith is is sort of the leader, but that's that's basically because he's he's the number you know he's the, the guy who's been there. He's sort of a, a top a top the depth chart right now because he he's been there. This is his fourth year on the team, second year in the system. He did start three games last year, and they thought he played pretty well when he started. So he's sort of the he's sort of the inherited leader right now. That really doesn't mean anything about what they've seen out of Drew Lock so far. Um, I think they there's a lot of things they like about Drew Lock. I just don't think they want to. Um, you know, he's not going to, he, he's going to have to earn the job here. And, and Geno Smith is actually a pretty popular guy in the, in the locker room and things like that. And, you know, they're going to, the Drew Locke's going to have to earn it. They're not going to just hand it to him. So, um, you know, the way mini camps are, uh, you can't really tell a whole lot out of those with no pads and no contact in, in the way those are structured. But right now that's it. You know, they got Jacob East on the, on the roster as well, but he's a pretty distant third in this. And yeah, you know, from day one, um, there's been rumors about, you know, could they get involved in different things? Um, I, I don't think anything has changed on, on Baker Mayfield, despite the fact they keep being, being talk about this. I, um, you know, everything I've heard is pretty consistent. If, if he is released and they don't have to pay that $18.8 million salary, then I think they would be interested. Um, until that happens, I don't think they're interested. Um, is there a chance if, if, Cleveland were to want to trade him and and take on much, if not most of that salary, there, there's maybe a chance that that could happen. Um, I don't know that that's something Cleveland's going to entertain until the last minute, though. I, you know, if you're Cleveland, you can probably, um, you know, even though Baker Mayfield's not happy about it, you can drag this thing out as long as you want. And maybe especially in their case with the uncertainty over to Deshaun Watson. And if they somehow thought there was a way that they might need him and could mend fences with him. So, um, you know, there's I, I don't think there's any active trade talk or anything like that going on. I think it's a, a total holding pattern. And I think I think any of the teams that are sort of interested in Baker Mayfield are waiting to see what Cleveland's going to do with him first. Let's go to the backfield here. Pete Carroll, Bob, has been very loyal to Chris Carson. He's done a wonderful job receiving, rushing the ball, has had some issues with fumbles, but got through those. But now this year, a little more wide open. Rashad Penny, how is Chris Carson doing? Second round pick now, Kenneth Walker comes in. So, of course, we're always intrigued because Seattle going to run first, so you're going to get a lot of touches in that backfield. Where do you think it's going this year? looks like Penny right now, but there is a little bit of uncertainty as we head into the season. Yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty with Chris Carson. I mean, that you know that was why they drafted um, Kenneth Walker. And I know maybe people who just looked at the depth chart or whatever and thought, wow, they got two good running backs. But there's a lot of, you know, uh, 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 unfortunately, there's a lot of pessimism about whether Chris Carson is going to be able to come back and play ever again. He's got, you know, he had neck fusion surgery, and that's a pretty serious thing to come back from. And so, um, you know, they're, they're, he's under contract for next year. They've got, you know, a significant dead money hitting him already. So there's zero reason for them to make a move with Chris until they know, you know, if he gets a training camp and he physically can't 
can't play, then then at that point, maybe you make a, a roster move with him if, if need be. But, um, you know, he wasn't around for any of the offseason program and, you know, we didn't see him. And and it's just a, it's just a complete he's you know, they'll probably just wait till training camp, see if he can pass a physical and see where things stand. Um, yeah, Rashad Penny by far is, is the is the number one running back. The way he played the last six games of last year really got him excited about about um, what he can do and the way this offense can look with him in it. Um, you know, averaging 6.2 yards per carry and all that um, d- during that time, or I guess almost 6.3 actually. Um, you know, yeah, it was it was uh, it was a real revelation, and it was kind of you know kind of finally validated what they thought they had in him when they took him in the first round a few years ago. Um, you know, they drafted Walker as a huge hedge against Carson, but also the fact that neither Carson nor Penny are under contract beyond next year. So, you know, it was also a, a pick for the long term to get a guy, uh, you know, to make sure you have a running back sort of going forward, depending on what's going to happen with with Chris and Rashad for the long term. Um, and he'll definitely fit into things, you know, the the, the cliche complimentary back. Maybe they can get him and work him as the third down back. They do sort of have guys they like in that third down role and Travis Homer and DJ Dallas. So I think a lot more logically for Kenneth Walker is he's sort of a complimentary guy and maybe plays a few series here and there, depending on what happens with Rashad Penny. But, you know, the bigger thing from the Seahawks standpoint was simply getting through 17 games. Obviously, Rashad Penny's had a lot of his own injury issues in his career. So, you know, I think there's, you know, just it, hopefully Rashad, from their standpoint, hopefully Rashad Penny can play all 17 games. But if not, then you've got Kenneth Walker, who proved really durable, um, obviously, last year at Michigan State as a guy that you that you could count on. One of the best things about Seattle from a fantasy football perspective is the consolidated target share. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. Lockett's so underappreciated, just keeps producing every year. How do you think those receivers and their roles adjust now with a new quarterback? That's, yeah, that's what will be really interesting to see. You know, there's, there's a lot of talk that, especially with Geno Smith, that, you know, those three games last year, they used they used some different parts of the field a little bit more than, than they did sometimes with Russell, um, you know, and maybe wasn't quite the quite the vertical attack. Now, that said, two of the games were played in really bad weather. Um, so maybe reading into what they did in, the, in those three games that Geno played, kind of three and a half, really, the, when he came in early in the third quarter of the Rams game, is a little misleading because the, that New Orleans game, it was really hard to throw the ball anywhere. And then the game at Pittsburgh was also not very good weather on a Sunday night. It was really windy. Um, so who knows for sure, really on that. Maybe it was sort of just circumstance, but, but there is sort of that thought that maybe it will, will open up some, some different things there. Conversely though, Russell, obviously, you know, one of the best deep passers in NFL history, something both Tyler and, and DK are really good at and really thrived with. And uh, you know, that is something they like about Drew Locke. They do think Drew Locke is a guy who can do that. They feel like he's got a really strong arm, you know, whether he then has the same accuracy and touch that Russell has is, is going to be the big question, but um, they feel like that, you know, I don't think that vertical part of their game is, is something that's going to go away. I think they feel like both those guys, but especially Drew, I think, is a guy they feel like feel like could fit for them. Um, you know, their, their receiving core is interesting. They didn't really do anything to... Um, you know, to, 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 to really add to it significantly in the offseason. So they're sort of counting on D. Eskridge to emerge as a third as the third receiver. They did sign Marquise Goodwin. We didn't see much out of him um, in the in the mini camp. Really, he had just he had sort of just arrived. Um, but, um, you know, so they're obviously still, you know, in terms of that huge target share that DK and Tyler have, there's nothing to indicate that's going to change going forward. Bob, the key acquisition, in my opinion, one of them that they had this offseason, part of that Russell Wilson trade, is Noah Fant. Noah Fant, to me, is going to have a big year one way or another. If Seattle's actually pretty solid and better than most would expect, Fant is going to be a big part. He's a big guy, athletic, can break things down the field and great in the red zone. 
And if they're chasing points and they're behind a lot, fans going to be involved as well. You got yourself a great tight end there that I think can be a mainstay in this offense for several years. Yeah, and that's a good point. And when I say they didn't do anything to add in the receiving core, I guess I'm talking strictly receivers because yep. they did do something significant with Noah Fan for sure. Um, he was a key part of the Russell trade, a guy I think they really targeted. Um, I don't think that's li- just lip service when they say that. I think they were legitimately interested in him coming out of the draft and, and um, um, you know, and, and do really have high hopes for him. They've already picked up his option um, for the 2023 season. So he's definitely a guy that's kind of – that's going to be huge in their plans. And for sure, uh, you know, they um, – um, with him and, you know, they re-signed Will Disley as well. They paid him uh, maybe more money than some people thought, but I think really the thought there is Will Disley, um, they really value his run blocking. They really thought the way um, his interplay, his kind of work in the run game during that uh, six game stretch at the end of the year, when Rashad Penny was really going off, I think they feel like was, was a, that Will was a big part of that. And by getting fan, he can by far be the guy who's, who's, uh, you know, sort of more your receiving tight end while Disley's more your inline tight end. And those guys can be on the field a lot together. Um, and Disley can still be a receiving threat, but for sure, I, I think Noah fan will be a really significant part and, and maybe, uh, maybe really should be um, kind of viewed as the de facto third receiver on this team. Yeah, and the blocking is going to be critical because offensive line, there are questions. Our Justin Edwards here at 4 for 4 did a three-part series on offensive lines. Had Seattle 27th coming into this year. No Dwayne Brown, who is a mainstay. A lot of hope for the future here. But, of course, you want to have a solid offensive line with the uncertainty of quarterback running as well. So talk about how you see the line shaping up heading into this year. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a totally fair rating right now, given um, the given the the newness. You know, they've got they're going to probably start rookies at, at each side, and obviously each of those guys really highly really highly regarded. Charles Cross taken ninth overall, and that was you know that wasn't a reach. I don't think. I think everybody in the NFL thought he was worthy of being taken at that spot. So obviously a lot of optimism for him, but you know, still a young guy. Um, played in a you know air raid system um, mm-hmm. down at Mississippi State, so there's definitely going to be a little bit of a learning curve there for him. And then at right tackle, it's probably going to be uh, Abraham Lucas, their third round pick out of Washington State, also played in the, the Mike Leach air raid, air raid system for most of his career. Um, they've got a couple other younger guys, at Stone Forsyth and, and Jake Curran, who are going to compete for that. But whoever wins the job is going to be somebody who's in either their first or second year in the NFL. So one way or the other, they're going to have they're going to have two tackles likely neither of whom who will have a combined start to fewer than five games in the NFL. If Curran wins one of the job or none, if it's any of the other guys. Yeah. So um, for sure, that's, that's a huge question mark going forward. Uh, you know, so, so where they again, feels like there's a lot of potential there, but until you see it, um, it's fair to question, you know, how well that's going to look, um, you know, their interior spots, they feel a lot better about uh, resigned Austin or I didn't resign, but brought in Austin Blythe, um, the free agent who had played, uh, who's played in this system um, under Shane Walder and then Andy Dickerson, the new offensive line coach. Uh, each, each of those guys was with the Rams when Blythe was the starter on the Rams Super Bowl team a few years ago. Um, so he's going to plug right into that. And then their guards, Damian Lewis and Gabe Jackson, that will be the same two guys from last year. And um, and they and they like those guys maybe a little better than, than the rest of the NFL does. But certainly Gabe Jackson's getting up there in age and he did have knee surgery in the offseason. So that's going to be a little bit of a question, too. We saw a guy named Phil Haynes. Um, Seahawks fans know him well, but uh, the rest of the world might not. Um, a draft pick here a few years ago who the Seahawks really liked. Basically, it basically didn't play at all his first couple of years in the league. Then did have a couple starts late last season. And it got them really excited. And he played during that stretch when the running game is really going off. Um, so if they have to go with Phil Haynes, 
Canes, I think they feel pretty good about it, even if, you know, on paper it'll look like a big question mark. So I think their interior spots are okay, but it is the tackle spots that, again, a lot of, a lot of optimism and, and reason to, to think they, they'll, be, they'll be good, but, you know, rookies or second-year guys, until you see it, you know, you gotta, you got to just wait and see it, basically. Under Pete Carroll, this defense always evolves and gets tough even as the year goes on, especially if there's uncertainty in the beginning. It always gets better. 21st overall last year in DVOA per football outsiders, but eighth against the run. They did stop the run. How do you see it, Bob, this year? Do they continue that run defense and amplify the back end a little bit? How do you see the defense as a whole here heading into 2022? Yeah, well, it's going to be really interesting. And, and you know, they made some really significant uh, def- uh, changes to the coaching staff, basically overhauled the whole thing, really. Uh, almost everybody on the defensive staff has a new title, and they brought in, and then they promoted Clint Hurt, their defensive line coach, to a uh, coordinator, um, firing Ken Norton Jr., who'd been the coordinator the last four years, um, bringing in two guys from the outside to really revamp their pass defense in the secondary, and, and Sean Desai and Carl Scott. Sean Desai, who was the uh, – uh, coordinator for the Bears last year, and they brought in, and they're kind of going to go with more of the Vic Fangio three-four uh, defense, and and uh, you know it's it's really going to be the most significant change to a defense Pete Carroll has ever made in his NFL career, and especially with the Seahawks, he'd always been a real proponent of of um, of sort of the cover two um, stuff, and uh, um, you know Monty Kiffin was sort of was sort of his mentor with that, and now he's really buying into sort of the Vic Fangio. Um, outlook or uh, outlook uh, scheme. I'm sorry uh, that it's kind of become all the rage. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that goes. Um, it, it will, um, you know, it's going to put. It, it's really interesting. Their cornerback situation is is really the other really big uh, kind of unknown here on the team a little bit. You know, they re-signed Sidney Jones. They they brought in Artie Burns, who had played with the Bears last year under the side and and played pretty well. Former first round pick. They've got a couple of picks, a couple of uh, rookies this year. They really like Kobe Bryant, the Jim Thorpe Award winner. He could emerge as a starter. Trey Brown, who started some games for them last year as a rookie and then got hurt. Um, any 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 two of those four guys, I think, are going to emerge as the starters. But it, it is really weird to kind of see a Seahawks team with the cornerback situation that's so that's so uncertain. Um, the rest of it appears pretty set. And you're right about the defensive, uh, you know, the, the defensive tackle spots they thought were maybe the strength of the whole defense last year. And, and basically that's going to return intact. They re-signed Al Woods and, and Brian Monet just gave Brian Monet a fairly significant extension. Um, have Puna Ford. Puna Ford actually has the, the absolute highest cap hit on the team this year, which is weird after, you know, they had Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner as the highest paid guys at their position mm-hmm. in NFL histories. And now suddenly Puna Ford, which is kind of semantics because Jamal Adams contract doesn't kick in fully yeah. yet, but, but, uh, but, but Puna Ford, technically has the highest cap hit on the team this year, which speaks to how, how much they value him. So, um, yeah, they, they hope they'll still be good against the run this year. It's improving the pass defense, especially in sort of that intermediate area, area, which was really a struggle for them last year. Teams really did an awful lot of just hunt and peck on their way down the field against them last year. Bob, this has been great. Just one more question. We'll get you out of here. Uh, schedule and projection. 11th hardest strength of schedule per opposing win totals in Vegas. People really unknown, but Seattle betting market is down on them. How do you see Seattle this year heading into the year season? Yeah, and I mean everybody in the NFC NFC West, I think, is at the top of those toughest uh, schedule projections mm-hmm. because they got to play in the NFC West, where yep. um, you know the other three teams other than Seattle made the playoffs last year, and so um, it's a really tough division for sure. Um, you know, I, I, I think, I think seven, seven or eight wins is fair right now to, to not expect much more to not look at their roster and think right now that, that they're going to get much more than that. Um, until we really see the quarterback situation and how that's going to, and how that's going to pan out. And if they can, you know, if they, 
can get much out of that. And if the defense is good enough to make up for, if the offense is going to need some time to find itself um, with the new quarterback, it's, you know, it's definitely fair to, fair to question that they, they start right out of the gate, you know, uh, with as interesting a game as possible with Denver coming to town and Russell Wilson and getting that out of the way um, right out of the gate. But uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to really, you know, I, I, this is by far the, the least, you know, expectations in the city of Seattle in the last decade about this team, because just not having Russell, you know, not having Bobby Wagner anymore. I mean, having nobody left from the Super Bowl team, you know, it's kind of finally a completely new team from, from the teams that did get to the Super Bowl, uh, you know, win one and got to the second one and all of that. So, um, you know, it's, it's a big prove it year for sure for everybody out here. That was fantastic insight. Bob Condotta, Covers Seattle for the Seattle Times. Follow him on Twitter at Bcondata. Bob, that was great insight. A lot of uncertainty. You made it, you clarified it for us a little bit here. We're excited to watch the Seahawks head into the season. Thanks so much for a few minutes. Okay, thanks a lot, Mike. Yep, anytime. Tennessee Titans football with the great Jim Wyatt. I've had the pleasure of talking to Jim several times in the past. Does a fantastic job there for TennesseeTitans.com. Follow him on Twitter at Sports. Jim, it's a pleasure. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, Mike. How you doing today? Doing great. And we're excited to talk about the Titans. Of course, sort of some uncertainty with the Titans this year, which is odd for a team that's gone nine and seven or better for six straight seasons with increasing wins each of the last three years. But among that uncertainty, death taxes, and we know Derrick Henry is going to be there, and that's what matters. How does he look coming into the season? And is there another running back that maybe could give him a breather from his massive workload? I know the Titans spent a fourth-round pick on Hassan Haskins out of Michigan. So talk about Henry in the backfield to start. Yeah, I mean, Henry certainly looks good. I mean, he wasn't around a good part of the offseason because he trains on his own in Dallas. And believe me, when he when I say he's training, he's training. A lot of times when guys are not around in the offseason – some, you might wonder what a guy's doing. You don't have to wonder about Derrick Henry. All you got to do is look at his, his Instagram feeds, look at some of his workout videos. He's built like a, a Mack truck, and he still runs uh, extremely well. When he showed up here for camp, I mean, he, uh, you know, he again, he looks like a physical specimen, and he's hungry. I mean, I think he has heard some of the buzz that's out there this offseason that he's on the verge of regressing or getting ready to hit a, a brick wall. I don't see that based on what I saw uh, at the mini camp in June, uh, I think he is hungry. He was certainly disappointed by the way last season went. I think he was going to, you know, be the rushing leader for three years in a row. I think he was going to be the first back to go for over 2,000 uh, in back-to-back seasons. But all that changed when he hurt his foot up in Indianapolis uh, last season, midway through. So he's going to come back and be motivated. You know, the question for me, I think, and you kind of weaved it into your your question, is is what will his workload look like? And is there somebody that can uh, give him a bit of a breather? And I do think Hassan Haskins, the draft pick out of Michigan, is capable. I think Dontrell Hilliard, who was signed in the last season, is capable. I think both those guys are going to be on the roster, and I think they're going to be in the mix in some fashion kind of splitting that two, three back role. And uh, and they could get some work on third down, which could cut into Derrick Henry's carries. Uh, I think it makes sense to maybe take some of the pounding off of him. The problem with Derrick Henry, I don't say it's a problem, but the thing about Derrick Henry is he wants the football. He wants to play. He, he's not looking for a break. So And if he's running the ball well and they're having success, then he's going to get his carries. But 
Uh, you know, a lot of his production, a lot of his workload is going to depend on how this team does, whether it's in the lead, whether it's playing from behind. And, uh, and we won't really know that until games start and, and really seeing how this team is on offense around them. Yeah, before that foot fracture, you mentioned it, Jim, had three touchdowns in three of five games, 237 rushing yards, 144, 177, 130, 156, just a dominant performance, 10 touchdowns there through the eight games. So he seems back and ready to go. Let's shift to the quarterback, Ryan Tannehill. He certainly has exceeded expectations, I say, in the three years coming over from Miami. But in 17 games last year, only 21 passing touchdowns. And those yards per attempt, which is critical, have dropped three consecutive seasons, 9.6, 7.9, 7.0. I'm curious about the concerns coming into the year. No A.J. Brown, Julio Jones. I know it was up and down last year, but he's not there. Robert Woods, Traylon Burks, the draft pick, of course, I think have to have big seasons. So talk about the passing game here in Tennessee to supplement Henry. Yeah, it is a big question. I mean, I, I mean, I look at Ryan Tannehill, what he's done here. He, he's his team's best quarterback, you know, since Steve McNair. I mean, there's no doubt about that. You know, Vince Young obviously was here, and Jake Locker had a run with him, and Marcus Mariota. But no, none of those guys, uh, you know, equaled what Ryan Tannehill's been able to do from a production standpoint and from a success standpoint. Uh you know, but he, but he obviously is coming off a disappointing season, a season that ended in really nightmarish fashion against the Bengals in the playoff game. And he's had to live this whole offseason dealing with that and has talked about the pain and the anguish and the nightmares and the depression, really, that he had to go through coming off of that game. He's motivated to come back and prove that he can do it. Uh, while questions from the fan base and from outsiders, you know, suggest that he can't. Uh, I think he can, but I think a lot of it, again, kind of hinges on, you know, his supporting cast. And, you know, Robert Woods, I've seen him this offseason. I think he's well ahead of where he should be for a guy that's coming off an ACL, but I haven't seen him on a practice field without a brace yet. He hasn't been doing a lot of work. I think that changes when camp starts. Trading Burks, his work has been very limited this offseason because of, of, you know, maybe some conditioning and asthma issues. The, the team is confident that he's going to be uh, make great strides in camp and it's going to be a position to help. But the Titans have questions on the offensive line where they're going to be trying to replace two out of the five starters. They've got two new tight ends in Chica Conquo and Austin Hooper, who should uh, cause this team to, to be upgraded to that position. But those guys have got to come together. And then, you know, we'll see how things shake out the running back position. So, the, so Ryan Tannehill has question marks around him, and they're going to need some things to come together. Uh, and camp in the preseason and early on to really um, be successful on offense. Jim, real quick question before we get to the O-line. What is Robert Woods' status from your hearing? Do you think he will be ready for the start of the season? I know you said he hasn't been participating, but any whispers on him? I think he's going to be ready, yeah, because I, I think he did more than I thought he would do during the course of this offseason. He's worn the yellow jersey and, and when there's not been a one-on-one and some of the seven-on-seven seven work. Uh, so he's not – uh, but I think that's because they've held him back. I mean, he kind of kidded over this offseason about they're holding him back. Like, he wants to do more. And I think they're just trying to be smart with him. But he looks good. He's cut well. I've seen him open it up and run a little bit. Uh, I think, I think you know, as we edge closer to the season, you'll see him do more and more. And I think I'd be surprised if he's not out there 
lining up as a starter in week one against the Giants. We'll, we'll see. I mean, he doesn't need to have any setbacks, and they'll work hard to try to keep that from happening. But uh, based on what I've seen from him and the progress he's made so far, far I, think he'll, I think he'll be ready in September. I saw in your mailbag there for TennesseeTitans.com, question came in this week about the offensive line. Really appears critical with the uncertainty with Tannehill, new receiving core. You referenced some concerns with this group. Talk about that offensive line because that is really going to be critical here to give Tannehill time to get through his progressions and get this offense going, especially first few weeks. Yeah, and, and that, that's the biggest question mark. Well, I don't want to say it's the biggest question mark. I think receiver certainly falls into that category as well, but it's a huge question mark. And you know, I was talking to somebody earlier this week, and they were, you know, asking me how much better I think they'll be on the offensive line in 2022. And I'm, I couldn't, with a straight face, say, yeah, I think they're going to be a lot better because right now, you know, they're replacing two starters. One of them was a Pro Bowler and a veteran in Roger Saffold, and another guy in David Quisenberry, who, who was a dependable pro, uh, who is now gone as well. So. At right tackle, Dylan Radens was is the favorite. It's his, I think it's his job to lose there. You know, he's picked in the second round. That's why they picked him, is to be a starting tackle in this league, and they need him to be good. He's, I think he's capable. He's a good athlete. He's got good footwork. His technique, obviously, still a work in progress because he hasn't played a lot. He's used to playing on the left side. Now he's got to position himself to, to anchor, you know, to, to – Anchor it down on that right tackle spot and be good. Uh, and if if he if he holds up his end of the part bargain, then they've got a a, a right tackle and or a tackle for years to come um, for sure. Maybe eventually he switches to the left side down the road, but he needs to win that job. Um, and then at, at left guard, it's going to be a competition between Jamarco Jones, most recently with the Seahawks. And Aaron Brewer, who has had some spot starts, a guy they really like, but a guy who doesn't have a whole bunch of experience. They need they need things to shake out favorably at those two positions. If they don't feel good about where things stand as we get close to the season, I'm not ruling out the possibility of them going out and getting somebody. But uh, but they want to let the in-house guys uh, have a say in that first. On defense, Jim, huge improvement from 29th in DVOA per football outsiders to 12th last year. You know, I think the buzz coming into last year was how is the defense going to play? There was a lot more confidence in the offense. Defense allowed the fewest rushing yards per game. Any team in the league, 83 and a half yards per game. What do you expect from the defense this year? A group that really came together. It's very solid down the stretch. Yeah, it's crazy how that's flipped. Yeah, because just like you said, I mean, not too long ago when people were questioning the defense and questioning the coordinator and 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 had no concerns about the offense, now it's kind of the other way around. Uh, you know, the defense I think does have a chance to be really good again. I mean, can they put up nine sacks every game like against the Bengals? That's probably not going to happen, but uh, but they're capable of making steps from last season because. You know, here Landry is now in a position where he's a savvy veteran and he just got paid. Uh, I think he, you know, certainly earned that. And now he's got to keep proving himself. Bud Dupree played most last season, still recovering from May ACL. I don't think he felt right until the very end of the year. And now he's had more time to heal. I think he's going to be really good. Jeffrey Simmons is really good up front. Danico Autry really did a good job coming in here after, uh, you know, being, you know, previously with the Colts and being a nemesis for the Titans. Uh, they went out and signed, uh, you know, Walker from 
the Texans, who is going to be, uh, you know, kind of a versatile player who can play all over that line. Demarcus Walker is who I'm talking about. And then interior, you know, Zach Cunningham came in here midway through the season. I think he's more comfortable now. David Long's taken up more and more of a leadership role and is continues to get better as a pro. I like where they are inside and outside. You know, in the secondary, you've got two proven safeties in Kevin Byard and Amani Hooker. And you've got a whole bunch of talent at corners, you know, from Christian Fulton to Caleb Farley to Elijah Molden, uh, you know, guys like Buster Screen, Chris Jackson uh, in that mix. They drafted uh, Roger McCreary out of Auburn in the second round. I mean, those are a lot of guys I just named that are going to be in that mix at corner that gives them a lot of flexibility, you know, in, in you know, nickel and dime packages. Uh, so, I mean, they've got depth and they've got talent on defense to be really good. And uh, and I, I, I don't have a lot of questions about the defense. I think they're going to be good. The questions I have are about the offense. Well, last question, Jim, is a great insight. We'll get you out of here. Schedule and projection here for Tennessee. 12th hardest strength of schedule per opposing win totals in Vegas, sort of right in the middle. Over-under for this team is nine wins. That feels low. And they are plus 170 to win a division that they've won two years running here. So what say you about the schedule and projection for this year? Well, the schedule is uh, – and I, I was trying to pull it up just so I could go kind of month by month. I, I feel like I should know it at heart by heart by now. But, uh, it, it, I mean, they got the Giants right out of the gate, certainly, uh, and that's a game you got to win. The Titans laid an egg in week one last year against the Cardinals and, uh, you know, and then found a way to back, bounce back against Seattle. But – uh, you know, I'll look at the schedule and uh, and three of the first five on the road, you know, get the Giants right out of the gate and at Buffalo on a Monday night game. Buffalo is going to be chomping a bit to beat this team. I mean, the Titans have, have handled them last couple of times. They've been to Tennessee. Then you got the Raiders coming in here, then back-to-back road games at Indy and Washington before the bye. Uh, you know, that that is a challenging start. But the real tough part of this schedule, I think, is probably uh, in – starts in Jan- I'm sorry in November. I think November you got at Kansas City, Denver coming in here with Russell Wilson now, Bengals coming in here for a playoff rematch. Um and then I just skipped over Green Bay, which may be the toughest one of all on a Thursday night in November. So that four pack is huge. Titans have got to you know got to put themselves in a good position where they can uh, do some things late because I think Dece- December with three out of five at home that month, um, uh, I think the Titans, you know, will have a chance to kind of be closed in on AFC South title again. But um, you never know. I, when I talk about the schedule, it's funny. Um, you, you, you can project early on, but you never know how good teams are going to be. I mean, who, whoever thought the Bengals would turn out to be what they were going to be last year and whoever, you know, would think that some other teams are, are going to, you know, fall short of expectations. So I think the Titans are going to be a contender again. I think nine is definitely achievable on a 17-game schedule. I think it's low. I think this team's winning at least nine games. Uh, but, um, but we'll see. I mean, it hinges on your health. Uh, and it hinges on how other teams kind of shake out and how things come together for them. And certainly it looks like them and the Colts in this division, Titans have won four out of five here against the Colts. Some exciting games last year as well. Big overtime win. 
folks, Jim Wyatt on Twitter at Jim at JWyattSports, TennesseeTitans.com gave us a few minutes here on really a critical team. In the fantasy world, Jim, Derrick Henry, that moves the needle for us here because it's just automatic production. A lot of questions here, but you clarified some stuff for us. We appreciate it. Have a great season. Really looking forward to 2022. Okay, appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on. Greg Allman, who covers the Bucks for the NFL Athletic, does a fantastic job. Follow him on Twitter at Greg Allman, A-U-M-A-N. Greg, thanks so much for joining us today. How you doing? Hey, doing well, Mike. Thanks again for having me. Uh, really appreciate being on with you today. We're going to start in the backfield here. Leonard Fournette, I feel in a lot of ways, Greg, he's been around forever. Jacksonville, we had the video of him waving the Steelers on in the playoffs and a dominant performance last year. Still only 27 years old. Massive year last year. Over 1,200 yards, 69 total receptions. 10 touchdowns. However, Rashad White drafted in round three. Keyshawn Vaughn, Giovanni Bernard still on the roster. Do you see Fournette still dominating these touches in the backfield? Had a 65% snap share. And how much do you see White mixing in this year? Yeah, I think it's still very much Leonard Fournette's backfield. They gave him $7 million a year to come back. Um, he'll be in every down back. They trust him to do everything they need to do. Um, Rashad White makes it interesting. And I think he'll kind of be the, the number two back, at least once he gets settled in. You put a third round back. Uh, third round pick into a back, I think they intend to use him. So he's probably more of a threat to crib into Fournette's touches uh, than Vaughn or even Bernard. Uh, but no, Fournette, like I said, they like him on passing downs. Uh, I think when he got hurt at the end of last year, he was leading the NFC in yards from scrimmage. So, I mean, they, they use him a lot. I, I think with Todd Bowles, they'll probably want to run the ball more, kind of take it easy on the 45-year-old quarterback if that's possible. Um, so I, I think Fournette's a, a, a good back to look into. But yeah, White, why would be a good late run sleeper is a guy that could crib into things. And if, if Leonard would get hurt, I think he'd be the guy that steps in for him. Now you mentioned no Bruce Arians this year, but we look at the passing attack and you have Tom Brady back. He retired, but he came back, which is amazing news for all NFL fans, especially for the Buccaneers. But wide receiver, of course, going to be missing a key piece for a while. Chris Godwin, you did make the move for Russell Gage, which is someone, Greg, that we are very excited about in the fantasy community. Tight end Rob Gronkowski, retirement number two, said he is retired. There's rumors that he will be back, of course. But I think Cameron Brake gets a big bump. He's been very efficient in limited time. And, of course, rookie Cade Otten. So give us an update on Godwin. You still have the great Mike Evans there. And how you see the receiving and the receptions coming forward here in this passing attack without Arians, of course, but continuity from last year. Yeah, I think it'll be very much the same offense. The Byron Leftwich was calling the plays last year. I think it'll be a, a seamless transition there with, with Arians gone, but but Leftwich still very much kind of running things offensively. Uh, we don't know about Chris Godwin. They, they kind of have been encouraged all spring by his progress, but won't really say what the timetable is for a return. So we don't know whether he's practicing in training camp, good to go in week one, or not moving as quickly and opening the year on the pup list where he misses the first six games or something like that. I think the priority is to make sure he's healthy for the rest of the season, the bulk of the season, the playoffs. That, that'll that be what, what's most important. So uh, Russell Gage could be a really good play early. If Godwin isn't there, he's a strong number two for them, a guy they really like. They give $10 million a year to. So, I mean, um, with Gage, you have the, the risk of him not being as prominent at the end of the season when Godwin's healthy, when Evans is healthy, when maybe Gronk is back for all we know. Uh, but I like Gage overall. I mean, in terms of number three receivers in the NFL, he's probably the best right now uh, from a fantasy play, at least. He's never had more than four touchdowns in the season. He could do that easily uh, and then some with this offense here. Tight end, I don't think they're done yet. I think they'll add a veteran here before training camp, whether it's a Kyle Rudolph or an Eric Ebron or, or uh, those are probably the first two that jump to mind. Jimmy Graham's out there. Uh, Jared Cook is out there. I, I just don't think they want to put everything on Cam Brate. Uh, their rookies... Tight end's a tough position for a rookie to jump into. 
Kate Otten, they like a lot, but he still hasn't even practiced. He's coming off an ankle injury from last year. Uh, Coquift is another rookie they like, but he, he had 12 catches in his entire college career. So I do think they'll add a veteran. Um, Cam Brate is a great red zone guy. He's got 33 career touchdowns. So from a fantasy standpoint, there's always value there. Uh, I don't know that he'll be like a, a clear-cut number one. I think they'll have another veteran they'll bring in. Uh, somebody that Tom Brady can trust so they're not leaning too heavy on the rookies there. And you think the wide receivers too, Gage and Evans are the main ones because, of course, God went out of there. Brady can spread it around. We've seen games where players were injured. Monday night game, I remember, comes to mind where he can hit anyone there getting open down the field. And, of course, there's production. Yeah, there were guys last year. I mean, last year when Godwin was out, when Antonio Brown was gone, there were other guys that stepped up and made big plays. So that that like four to nine range of the Bucks receivers is, is wide open. You have Brashad Perriman, who had a game-winning touchdown against the Bills. You have Cyril Grayson, who had a game-winning touchdown against the Jets, a big touchdown against the Saints. Uh, Tyler Johnson is, is a guy that's been a high draft pick, that's been a guy they trust. Had like 30 catches last year. Didn't probably make the most of the opportunity he had last year as well. So those all three are in place. Scotty Miller, you go back two years ago, was probably their leading receiver halfway through the season before Antonio Brown came on. So uh, I don't know that there's a, a viable fantasy play beyond the top three receivers, but if you want a late-round flyer and you like uh, one of those other guys – there's the chance that one of those guys will be the third receiver until Godwin's back healthy. So there's maybe some early season play to that. Of course, foundation of the offense, the offensive line, especially with Brady being up there in age. One of the best in the league last year will be one of the best in the league this year. Our Justin Edwards here at 4 for 4 has them top five offensive line. No Alex Kappa. He's now in Cincinnati. Ali Marpet retired, but brought in some new faces, right, Greg? And this line should be as good as ever. Yeah, they, they got Shaq Mason from the Patriots for a fifth-round pick. He's a guy that's blocked for Brady before will probably be an upgrade on Kappa. Uh, their left guard's a little bit more of a question mark. They took a second-round pick on uh, Luke Gedeke from uh, Central Michigan. They like him a lot. Um, there could be a stopgap. There's a veteran named Aaron Stinney that could step in as a starter if Gedeke's not ready week one. But they like this line. I think they still feel very good about this line. Obviously, two great tackles in Donovan Smith and Tristan Wirfs. Getting Ryan Jensen back was expensive, but something that was really important to them, something important to Brady as well. Uh, so you had pro bowlers on this line. I think they had three pro bowl offensive linemen last year, which is crazy. Obviously, Marpet's gone. But this should be, as long as they stay healthy, an absolute strength of this team. Defense, top 10 unit again last year. Now, no Dominican Sue looks like he's going to sign somewhere here in Cowboys, a couple different teams. But solid, rock-solid defense here. Of course, players returning can get to the quarterback and look to be dominant yet again here for the defense. Yeah, the big thing for the defense will be keeping that secondary healthy. That that really set them back last year, having Sean Murphy-Bunting, Carlton Davis, both missing extended periods of time. Antoine miss, Winfield missed games. Uh, some changes up front, like you said, Adamican Sue is gone. Akeem Hicks is in. Jason Pierre-Paul is gone. Uh, Joe Tryon-Shianka steps up in his second year as a starter there. So some changes in the front seven. I think they feel really good about this front seven still being really stout, maybe being a little healthier. Uh, they need David and White to be healthy at linebacker as well. There's not a lot of depth behind them. Uh, hopefully this will be a more consistent defense. I think because of the injuries in the secondary, they just weren't a very steady defense, especially on the back end. Um, if they can stay healthy there, they can be a top 10 defense all around. Greg, great insight as always. One more question. We'll get you out of here. The big question, Buccaneers schedule and projection. You know, I was surprised by this. They have the seventh easiest schedule per Vegas opposing win totals. 11 and a half win over under. Massive favorite to win the division. Minus 300. One of the highest I saw in the NFL. I would think another solid year. You know, Brady and company want to ring. Todd Bowles taking over as coach. But there is continuity here. I think expectations are high in Tampa Bay. Oh, yeah, they're high. I mean, this this is their division to take. Uh, the Saints swept them last year, so you can't really count them out. But, no, I, I think there's there's definitely the expectation of this being a division champ, um, a team that will be hosting postseason games. 
um, you know, probably second or third in the NFC. The Rams are definitely ahead of them. Probably Green Bay still ahead of them. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think you know, twelve wins, eleven wins. It's a tough schedule. I, I saw this. I was surprised by that stat with the seven least. I mean, their 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 first four are at Cowboys. Uh, they got the Chiefs, Packers, and Saints in their first four games. So <laughs> four, four really tough ones. They survive that. Uh, the rest is a little bit easier. They go to Germany for a game. Um, it's like the, the three games that, that count in your schedule as a result of your standings last year are Cowboys, Packers, Chiefs, which is just a really tough three to have. But they get those all early. And, uh, yeah, like I said, the expectation is to win the division and, and what they can do beyond that. Um, you know, Tom Brady's your quarterback in the playoffs. Anything's possible there. And Greg, I have to ask you, is the rumor, is this Brady's last year or is everyone just saying, you know what, we're done projecting? What do you Yeah, no, I'm, done, I'm completely done projecting. He's already retired once and come back on me. So no, it feels like the last year, but nothing would surprise me anymore with this guy. Great guys. Greg Allman, amazing work on Twitter at Greg Allman, covers the Bucks for the Athletic NFL. We know Tampa Bay is a huge team for us here. He gave us some great insights, some nuggets across all the offensive positions. Greg, thank you so much for joining us here. Have a great season. I know it's going to be exciting. All right. Thanks for having me again. Have a good one.